Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us in this episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, the podcast where we talk with our members about what is currently top of mind for pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians. My name is Joel Hunenfent, and I will be your host today. I am a steering committee member for the ASHP Formulary Submission Resource Center and the Chief Pharmacy Officer and Associate Administrator for Laboratory Medical Imaging at Trima Medical Centers in Kansas City, Missouri. This episode is supported by an educational grant from Merck. This podcast is the first in a Formulary Submission Resource Center Innovation Podcast Series, where we will emphasize best practices in formulary management. For example, unique strategies for biosimilar adoption, integrating biosimilars into your IT systems, medication reimbursement challenges, and keeping patients safe from white bagging. This podcast is for informational purposes and not approved for continuing education credit. Additional information is available at www.formularytoolkit.org. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Candy Sarunas, Professor of Clinical Pharmacy at the UCSF Medication Outcomes Center. She will be talking about unique strategies for biosimilar adoption, a challenge that every hospital is working through. I know I am. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started talking about today's topic, unique strategies for biosimilar adoption. So, Candy, to set the stage, tell us about your formulary management experience. Sure. Thank you for having me. The Medication Outcomes Center was founded in 2007, not only to support UCSF Medical Center, but to also serve as the hub for formulary management, continuous quality improvement, and health outcomes research and evaluations. As formulary manager, it has been a learning opportunity like no other. The most enjoyable aspect for me in managing the formulary is that I get to learn about hundreds of new therapies every year. And of course, I get to work with brilliant generalists and highly specialized pharmacists, nurses, and providers across many different clinical areas. And therefore, I'm always learning and challenging my own understanding. I also, I think being able to incorporate the fundamental principles of pharmacotherapy into the reviews that we complete is also extremely rewarding. Thank you, Candy. You brought up a lot of uh, key points there, working with uh, highly specialized team members and the experience of having the Outcome Center since 2007. Can you share with our audience how UCSF is approaching biosimilar utilization and adoption? Yeah, you know, the biosimilars represent a significant value improvement opportunity for health systems. They are essential in that role because they really help to reduce medication-related spending while also maintaining safety and efficacy, uh, important elements that we all care about. UCSF began adopting biosimilars when we introduced the biosimilar for filgristin into our adult hospitals, and this was back in April of 2016. Since then, we have brought in approximately seven biosimilar agents that have resulted in significant savings for our institution. We know that the market for these biosimilars is growing rapidly, 
And as a result, we've sort of adopted a yearly review strategy where we try to assess the purchasing costs, the safety efficacy, and utilization yearly to establish and, and sometimes reestablish which biosimilar represents the best opportunity for our patients and the institution. But at the same time, we recognize that there are many other biosimilars that are already FDA approved. However, they're being either held up by litigation or other challenges. And so they've not really come to market yet. So it'll be interesting to see how these newer biosimilars will play out over the next few years and, and how they'll be taken into health systems. Candy, you shared that you've uh, been through seven biosimilar conversions and that significant value has been added to UCSF. I know that that would add significant value at my institution. Can you share what has been the greatest challenge in managing biosimilar adoption at your institution? I think by far the greatest challenge has been one of communication. Communicating across multiple service providers, multiple services, communicating, you know, to our nursing colleagues and even our pharmacy operations professionals has been clearly the biggest challenge. I think that, you know, as we move towards adoption, it's communicating what we're trying to do and ensuring that everyone understands their role to play in in sort of converting. You know, some biosimilars are used in both adults and pediatrics across multiple service lines. And therefore, you know, updating each ordering tool has been a challenge and communicating that change. And so all of the processes that need to happen as part of that conversion represent communication challenges. And I think that's really at the heart of it. The other challenge, I would say secondarily, is the variance between the FDA approval language and then the health plan coverage criteria. Sometimes those don't always align. And so that's, an, I'd say, a secondary challenge. But for sure, the communication, ensuring adequate communication is probably the largest You mentioned uh, communication being a heavy emphasis and communication, particularly with the biosimilars, being a big challenge, uh, along with the variants in in the FDA-approved indications. So with all of those challenges that that you encountered, can you share what strategies you've used to facilitate adoption of biosimilars at UCSF? Certainly. The first strategy was to engage with our uh, medical center leadership to ensure that you know they were on board. And really what we wanted was for them to understand and embrace the use of biosimilars. Uh, and so that we would get that needed support and backing from the executive suite down to the medical directors and department chairs so that should we need their support later on, we, we knew we would have it. And so for us, that served as a really good first step in in addressing that communication need. Uh, Naturally, we presented to our pharmacy and therapeutics committee, and I would just share that that group has uh, largely been 100% on board and extremely supportive. They really appreciate the benefits that these biosimilars can afford to us. 
we were also very consistent in highlighting that the FDA-approved language that the biologics carry is that the biosimilars really have no clinically meaningful differences from the reference product. And so we were keen on repeating that message and really minimizing uh, the focus on these biosimilars not being interchangeable because really that didn't apply to our, to a health system in that our providers would always be involved in determining whether or not they preferred to have the reference product or not. In other words, they could always opt out depending on a patient's circumstance or a family's personal choice or due to an intolerance or an adverse effect. So we really focused on the message that there really is no clinically meaningful difference. The other point was to really emphasize that with our clinicians to emphasize that these that the biosimilar approval and adoption began in Europe long before the US began implementing biosimilars you know you recall through the European Medicines Agency they approved their first biosimilar for growth hormone back in 2006 so it was really uh, important to just remind everyone that we are not alone in transitioning to biosimilars. We have some uh, historical evidence to suggest that there is a safety and efficacy track record. We also emphasize that there's always an opportunity to opt out, as I mentioned earlier, at any point within the process so that they, the clinicians felt that they were doing the right thing but should a unique circumstance present itself, they could always opt out. And I think that that helped assure, give them some level of assurance. And so then what we did is we put together a targeted campaign and presented at grand rounds and at specialists meetings. We sort of had the same presentation. And then what we would do is switch out the efficacy studies to really focus on the area of interest. So if it was you know, we were speaking to the gastrointestinal specialists that we had studies pertinent to them. If we were speaking to our neurologist colleagues, we would have whatever data was available in the neurology space and insert that in the presentation. And then we sort of continued that on a roadshow, if you will. From there, we also were very sensitive to starting with the outpatient use, because we knew that that was easier to uh, begin with. We knew that our in-clinic or our infusion space was driven largely by payer coverage. And so we felt that we could manage that easy as our first step. And so we implemented a biosimilar strategy where we said, for all new starts, our order sets will default to this particular biosimilar. And then this would you know, fall back on what I previously mentioned, which is our clinicians knew that they could always opt out and come back to the reference product should they so choose, or we could uh, switch to a different biosimilar provided that that person's payer coverage dictated a different agent. So there was flexibility in how we did that. 
We also indicated that for each of our infusion centers that they could, you know, um, programmatically look at reauthorizations. So whenever it was time for a patient to get an infusion reauthorized by a payer, that this might be a good time to consider switching to a biosimilar. And we got pretty widespread support for those two sort of new starts and reauthorizations. And again, emphasizing the ability to opt out. We notably came across a couple of instances where we saw some clinicians say, well, we really don't want to switch. And some examples that I can share with you are number one, uh, some of our neurologist colleagues had some issues with switching a patient who was being treated for neuromyelitis optica, for example, and switching them, you know, was met with some trepidation in that, you know, you didn't want to risk having a patient lose their vision should some delay in therapy occur or that switch lead to, you know, subtherapeutic levels. That was one example. The other was in patients who had stable metastatic disease. You really wouldn't want to switch that patient to the biosimilar. And we recognize those as valuable and worthwhile patient populations that we might want to stay with what they were using. And so I think that we're, we're still in the process of sort of outlining what we'd like to do in the inpatient setting. And we'd like to adopt one biosimilar for the inpatient setting, but we also recognize that we need to develop some guidelines around um, how we're going to use them in the inpatient setting. So that's another thing that's in the works currently. And then I'll just sort of share that I know other institutions have biosimilar policies that they have approved. We do not have a biosimilar policy at UCSF, but that's certainly an option that some health systems have chosen to go down. We chose to go through our P&T committee and they allowed pharmacy to just sort of discern which products to carry, to carry all of them and to sort of manage who gets what in terms of an organized approach, whether it be through our order sets and um, having our pharmacists be engaged. And so I guess the, the long answer is that we are excited and we are tracking our use and we are tracking our outcomes because we feel it's super important to bring that back to our uh, stakeholders to say, you know, in the patients that we've switched, here's what's happened, here's the safety and the efficacy, and here's how much we've been able to save the organization. So we're really proud of that. Uh, you should be proud of that, Candy. That is a lot of excellent, innovative work. Of items that I will take back to my team, just to highlight a few of those is to make sure that we have a preferred biosimilar for each type of biologic. Uh, setting up the annual review to ensure that we're buying the most cost-effective biosimilar, and implementing guidelines on the inpatient use side. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Candy Sarunas for joining me today to discuss unique strategies for biosimilar adoption. Thanks again for tuning in for this session of Pharmacy Hot Topics. Don't forget to check out the website, www.formularytoolkit.org, for our webinar and our additional podcasts 
on unique strategies for biosimilar adoption, integrating biosimilars into your IT systems, medication reimbursement challenges, and keeping patients safe from white bagging. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and be sure to subscribe to ASHP Podcasts through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.